Hello and welcome to The Wardroom, a podcast dedicated to the leadership development of the U.S. Navy's engineering duty officers. I'm your host, Lieutenant Commander Matthew Horton. Today we'll be featuring a panel on women in leadership. We are joined by three leaders from our community. Rear Admiral Seiko Okano is a native of Evanston, Illinois, and has served in a variety of assignments across the C4I missile defense and combat systems enterprises. And she continues the tradition of program executives for integrated warfare systems appearing here on the podcast. We're also joined by Lieutenant Commanders Christina Carino and Rebecca Makis. Lieutenant Commander Carino is a native of Ringtown, Pennsylvania, and is currently serving as an action officer for the Deputy Assistant Secretary of the Navy ships. Lieutenant Commander Makis is a self-identified East Coast military brat and is currently serving as the Test and Trials Director for the Amphibious Warfare Program Office. And all three of our distinguished guests are graduates of the U.S. Naval Academy. So as the only non-academy grad here, I'm feeling a little outnumbered today. But we invite all of you to grab a cup of coffee and join us in the wardroom. So Admiral, Christina, Rebecca, welcome to the wardroom. It's fantastic being here. So uh, thanks for doing this, Matt. So who inspired your leadership style and, and why? Why did you pick those people? The best example I can give you is, is my mother. She retired as a colonel in the Air Force. So I, I lived with a a military leader, um, got to see her challenges. She would come home from tough days. Uh, You know, she was doing maintenance, logistics, supply, all that type of stuff. You know, how did she deal with the difficult people in her squadrons? How did she deal with the difficulties that, you know, the military was facing as they were going through um, Desert Storm and the start of, you know, Enduring Freedom, all that type of stuff. Uh, So she's been my, my greatest example. Um, as far as Navy leaders, the shining example that I have is my first ship's captain, uh, Captain Chuck Johnson. Uh, he embodied servant leadership. He was the type of guy that never raised his voice. You just never wanted to disappoint him. Uh, and I have aspired to be like him, um, you know, as, as a leader, uh, be, just because the, the humility and grace that he uh, just exemplified is just inspiring. Honestly, I'm still developing my leadership style, but throughout my life, I think that there there are a lot of different people that have inspired that from the time that I was young. Prior to the Navy, I looked at people like Pat Summit um, and even Michael Jordan, people who were successful and motivated others in pursuit of hard things. And then in high school, I actually got really interested in General MacArthur and the way that he led and was just fascinated by the things that he accomplished and how he went about doing them, even through the trials and tribulations that he endured. I mean, once I got to the EDO community, it really opened up. There's no shortage of of inspiration as far as leadership. Um, People that pull others up and want them to succeed, leaders who listen, leaders who aren't afraid to do different things and want to hear from people. I would really, it would be an injustice if I mentioned one one person. Uh, I don't think that would be fair. There have been a lot. And I think that everyone that you serve under in your chain of command, either directly or indirectly, um, I, I try and take something away from everyone. And I've I've actually, I had a mentor that that told me to have a book. Have a book and keep track. Whenever you learn something, write it down. Whether it's good or bad, keep that lesson learned. And so I think that has kind of been the buildup so far of what's inspired my leadership style. And I will also tell you that I've had a lot of peers and even a lot of mentees and JOs under me that I've looked at and who have really um, have driven that as well and who've inspired me. First of all, um, that was a great answer, Christina. Um, you know, just the, the the 360 degree 
you know, learning from from folks. I, I, I will tell you that. And I know Sarah Rice, you know, she she's on here, but she really, I, I would say, inspired me in how she tackled the women EDOs um, just in general when she was just a lieutenant. I was a commander and, you know, I had man, I feel like this is like a Gen X issue, but you know, I, I, you know, I had my head down and I was like like working hard and, you know, just trying to, just trying to survive in my opinion, really didn't think about how I was mentoring other women, the community at all. I mean, I honestly was just like, I just need to do the job. And here comes this Lieutenant and she, she, she kind of in her own way sat me down and she's like, you know, um, we kind of need your leadership. <laughs> we kind of need you to step up a little bit because we don't have anybody else. Really struck a chord within me that I was you know, learning and she was managing up, which is, I think, something that we don't get empowered enough to do. Um, and sometimes we don't thank the people who do that. Uh, and so I just want to publicly thank Sarah for, for doing that for me. And, and in, in the future, I mean, leaders need to be mentored too. And a lot of that comes from the folks that they mentor, <laughs> but it, it is 360 degrees. So I, I would say a shout out to Sarah Rice, but then also, you know, Admiral Page um, is, is another person that I think really took me under her wing and um, taught me some some mad leadership skills as well. Yes, ma'am. Well, let me build on that a little bit then. So you, you kind of mentioned, you know, managing up as a, as a challenge, but uh, are there some other unique challenges that you think are faced by women in leadership? Yeah, this is going to be a little intense. So hang on for a second. I've, I've had I've had some years to think about this. I, I think we haven't done enough collectively to change the culture uh, for really true inclusion of women, you know, not just in the EDO community, but at large. You know, I, I think if you look at just the general numbers, you know, opportunities for women have increased, you know, tremendously over the last 50 years. But when you look at the data over, you know, over the last 10 years, progress has really kind of stalled out. And even in the EDO data, as I've had the folks look at, just have kind of stalled out, right? You know, we're underrepresented in leadership positions. Uh, when I was a captain, I think there was only 3% female captains, you know, and, and I know we were recruiting about 25 to 30 percent of, uh, of the lieutenants were females. So there, it was a disproportionate number of the, the women in our community versus the women at, in leadership uh, positions. And what that does is limits access uh, to leadership. Uh, and I know, you know, it, we do a better job in the EDO community um, in mentoring, but certainly there are pockets where that access is limited. So, you know, even if you look outside of the EDO community, you just look again at large, the tech sector, you know, women are leaving companies in the tech sector 45% higher than men. And the number one, I don't know if anyone wants to guess this, what's the number one reason why women are leaving uh, the tech sector in general? It's culture. Culture is the number one reason. It's not family reasons. It's not any of these other things. It's, it's that the culture just wasn't uh, conducive to, to them. And if you look at, you know, you know how we kind of work through this, um, one of the things that I think women in the military have, have done well, but maybe to our detriment, 
uh, is that we change our own behavior to adapt to the environment. And I've done this myself to the women, uh, you know, at this uh, on this podcast, you know, hey, sit at the table, lean in, uh, be more aggressive, do all these things, which are particularly, you know, male traits. But, you know, we've managed to absorb them and change how we are in order to adapt uh, to the culture around us. But I think it's not necessarily our problem or just our problem that we, in fact, I think all of us collectively uh, need to do a better job in changing the culture in general. You know, there, there, there's some people that are saying, you know, that might say, hey, well, you know, does a culture really need to change? You know, maybe men are, are better in math or, you know, in general, you know, whatever, whatever, whatever. But when you look at, again, the statistics, you know, I think in 2019 or 2020, there were more women with bachelor's degrees than men in the workplace. I think there's, I looked it up, there's 40% of U.S. businesses are women-owned, you know, are bringing in over $1.7 trillion in sales. So it's not that we're not educated. It's not that we're not skilled uh, or have the business acumen. It's, and I know they're not changing their own behavior, right? I think it is really this, this inability to really try and look at our own unconscious biases and, you know, from the start, um, develop in um, anti-bias culture by design, by just the design of the community. And we just, we haven't gotten there yet, but, and I know this is a big uh, leap, but I, I'd welcome everybody else's thoughts on that. So I know pretty weighty, but um, I would say that's our biggest challenge. I love this question. And I think Admiral did a great job of explaining some of the data behind what's going on just to say that, you know, it really does exist and it's out there. Um, I'm going to take it from a little bit of a different perspective. I, you know, the three of us are here, we have different, different um, backgrounds and we've had different, different situations. And so I'm grateful for the opportunity to address it. And I was talking to someone and they said to me, you know, if you're not honest and if you're not candid, then there's no progress. And I thought that that was really important. So I, I just want to share a little bit of when I realized that there was um, bias, and because I think I was naive for a long time, um, especially earlier in my career. But I will say that I became uh, I came into the the EDO community. I went to NPS, and that's when I had my first son. And so I think maybe the ignorance is a challenge in itself of the, the fact that bias exists, any kind of bias, gender bias, whatever it may be. I think maybe that's a challenge. But interestingly, when I had my son, that's when I started getting questions and comments about how and if I could do a certain job. So I'm just going to give the moment where I realized that, that the bias existed, because I, I think it's important to kind of recognize that. And we have hopefully moved on from it. But it kind of um, impacted me and how I move forward. And it probably drove me, honestly, to even dig in a little harder. But um, I was I was a young EDO at that time. So this is this is years ago. And I was mentoring with a long retired officer now. And this person was looking at my EDO planner and paused for a minute and looked at me and said, Huh. I I can't think of a female officer with kids who's made it in DC. And I had DC in my career planner way back then, um, not even looking at Cannoncock or community at the time. But 
it, it made me wonder what the heck did being a female have to do with my success in DC? I just, I couldn't understand where that came from. And ironically, it's also because of strong now retired male, male leadership that I and many other women are here in DC and are successful. So um, maybe unconscious bias, Admiral mentioned that. I, I think it's important that we all are very self-aware um, and, and understand that and its impacts. Uh, so I just, I just wanted to briefly kind of mention that. That is such a, a, a powerful story, Christina. I appreciate you sharing that with everybody. But, you know, unfortunately, Christina is not the only one, you know, and, and there's been feedback across the community about the mentoring that we get. Um, and, you know, to that point, the questions such as, um, and so how old are your kids? How in where are they? And um, how are you going to manage that? And, you know, questions that maybe typically wouldn't be asked uh, of a man. So, you know, again, unconscious bias uh, that, you know, on the surface isn't uh, uh, malicious, but certainly can be harmful um, um, later on. Absolutely. That's actually a good good segue for us. And Christina and Rebecca, I'll open up the floor to you. How do you think are some ways that leaders can overcome gender bias in the Navy? I, I would say when you have the opportunity and you're in a position to step up and take those leadership roles and just own it. Don't give anybody the opportunity to insert any kind of questions or or make those assumptions about you. Um, and also be be very honest, open and honest about what you're doing. Just perform. If, if you're in a leadership position and if you perform, then there's no reason for anything else to follow behind that other than any, you know, a female can be successful in this role. Would you say sometimes, Christina, just to add on to that, would you say sometimes though, you know, if you are at a table and it's all men, uh, and you do bring up something that is exactly right, right? You you bring up the piece of data that that uh, you know is the crucial piece, but nobody hears you. What what do you do in that situation? I mean, because you know the the person's performing, um, but they're not being heard. Yeah, I mean, I think consistency is a part of it. And and again, if you're in a position where you are truly at the center, at the front of the table. Um, like I said, inserting yourself in those positions where it's it's kind of undeniable where where it's coming from. Um, yeah. And yeah. also, I think it, it personally, I believe you know, getting people it takes time getting people to believe in you and be comfortable with you and and follow you. I think that if enough women do that, whether it's in the private or public sector, you know, just having people see that will eventually get there. Yeah, so to, to kind of piggyback on what Christina was saying about, you know, being in the forefront, um, you know, I, I was a, a PMR down on the Gulf Coast. Um, I was the only woman in the room. I was also the youngest person in the room um, and and thrust into a leadership position uh, where initially I, I had some people trying to do some mansplaining um, and and I, I shut that down pretty quickly. And the the trick is, you know, how do you balance being yourself, being authentic to who you are, um, you know, if you're if you're not wired to be a lean in, aggressive kind of person, so finding a leadership style that still gets you heard. I, with how I was raised, you know, I, my parents knew from the very early age of like six months that I was going to be assertive, and they and they 
fostered that in me. Um, but if that's not how you're wired, finding out, you know, what type of style you know, works for you. Um, and sometimes it is being the quiet voice in the room so that, um, you know, people have to, to listen to, be, to, to make sure that you're heard. Uh, and then also the, you know, fostering a culture of respect. You know, one of the, the challenges that I faced as a PMR was there, there, was the, there was the favorite punching bag. One of the guys was just always picked on. And uh, very quickly, I realized, like, look, I, I can't tolerate this. Um, you know, we're going to foster a culture of respect within this office. So even if it's not something that is female-centric, just making sure that every single person is treated with dignity and respect that all humans deserve uh, is, is a great uh, foundation for fostering a culture of inclusiveness within the workplace so that we can bring more women into positions of leadership, you know, whether it's advertently or, or as a side effect. I mean, I want to get I want to get an amen to that. That is uh, absolutely. Um, and again, that is changing the culture from the beginning. I, I, I agree with you wholeheartedly. So let me go back a little bit. One of the things I think I heard multiple times here was how do you balance out your own personality and your own kind of t- personal tendencies towards leadership with maybe some of the other traits that may or may not be expected from persons in leadership. So, you know, what are some traits that you think good leaders possess and how can you cultivate those? I have traits, you know, that I, I mean, part that some that tie into this whole, you know, just being a good leader in general, which is, I think, just being authentic uh, to your true leadership self. So, you know, as, as Rebecca was saying, look, you know, her pe- personality was one way growing up and Christina, you know, her personality uh, comes through in her leadership. For me, I, I feel like I was a poser early on in kind of my leadership um, only because I wanted to fit in so badly. So I, I mimicked the male leaders around me because those are really the only leaders I knew. It, it took a while for me to kind of wrestle with the fact that I'm, you know, that's not really who I am. Um, and I feel uncomfortable. And I, you know, it was it, it really it triggered from the fact that I just felt uncomfortable. You know, I, I and people could see that uncomfortableness. And, you know, I was like, well, the reason why I'm uncomfortable is because I don't really lead like this. <laughs> you know, this is not really my my natural tendency. So I, I think if if there there's something I would leave with folks is, you know, be it's OK to be your authentic self. And it is absolutely OK to lead differently than your bosses. And I think it's just owning it and growing into that um, and then making the, those leadership those skills stronger. So one of the, the, the key traits that I found um, in leaders that, that I see as you know, very successful, I would consider very successful, is, is empathy. It, it's not, uh, you know, lead you know, as your authentic self, but uh, understand that the people that you are leading don't necessarily react the same way. They might have different priorities. Uh, you might not really be able to relate to them whatsoever, but as long as you have empathy and you try and put yourselves in their shoes uh, just to understand where they're coming from. And I think that the ED community is pretty good about understanding that and recognizing it. I, I think some some of it's a defensive, you know, we've got a bunch of nerds in leadership roles and and they just assume that we, we need a little bit of help figuring out the whole interpersonal thing. So we're doing the, the Myers-Briggs. That was a big thing for a bit. And now we're starting to get into the emergenetics, which my program office went through, and that was really great. You know, it was really interesting for me to take a look at that and say, okay, you know, I, I'm a, uh, you know, these are my personality traits, and I, I don't really uh, understand too much over here. Um, I have other people working for me or that I'm working with 
who, you know, they really are the social animals and they're looking at, you know, how does this benefit the group? Whereas I'm focused more on the, the visionary side of things or being able to take yourself out of your own position and put yourself in somebody else's shoes to become an empathetic leader so that you understand the motivation behind why people are doing certain things is, I think, one of the, the most important things that we can do. Yeah, I think Rebecca hit it hit it on the head. I was going to call what she was talking about awareness, um, awareness of, of where people come from and what may motivate their thought process and how they do things. Um, you know, and it's not just that process, it's how culture is changing. What What's the newest, fastest thing that, that people are using and how are they using it? Um, and I, I think that's important. I think the ability to shift a culture is important. I think that's an ability that it's rare, it takes time, but a culture where failing is okay as long as it leads to learning. And then um, Admiral Khan was good at this as she just proved openness, uh, sharing how you got to success and, and where you struggled along the way. I think that's really important as well. And so um, that's what I would add to that conversation. Hey, I'm going to add one more thing that onto what Christina and Rebecca said. And I, I do think humility is a really good trait and, and you know, not, not identifying too closely with your own ideas um, so that you take offense to when they get they get challenged, but you know, really being open. And I think it it dovetails into you know empathy and awareness, and just being able to ingest new ideas and not really be you know so close to to the ones that you you think you're right all the time. I, I think there's there's a definite challenge um, where we tend to overvalue expertise, especially in our community. And, you know, this is the whole 10,000 hour rule versus the th three rule, right? We've been, we've been trained that you've got to be the smartest person in the room and you got to know all the answers. And the, the thing about that is that it, that works if your environment doesn't change around you. That, that works if the, the game doesn't change. Like, you know, you're good at football or you're good at tennis or something. And those, those rules don't change. The problem with the environment we're in, and Christina hit on it, is that the world is changing so fast around us, especially in IWS, you know, that the data, tr you know, doubles on itself every, every three years. So even medical doctors, I mean, you look at them and now there's like a specialist, you're like a right ear specialist, you know, doctor, because that information is growing so much that they just, they can't even ingest it, right, to be like, uh, you know, an overall expert. So, you know, the fact that we kind of hold folks and to this really high standard of being like the smartest person in the room, I think is, is kind of a faulty way to look at it and having some humility to say, I'm no, I'm not the smartest person in the room, but I certainly can get you the smartest person, you know, on this area, I can certainly get you that, that person. So that, you know, I, I think we've got to work on that. So let me ask this then to the group. Is there uh, any other strategies then that you'd offer to, to women or, or to men to, to, to achieve success in our community? Embrace diversity and inclusion. <laughs> I mean, honestly, uh, if, if, you, if you start there and you truly, truly fundamentally believe, you know, again, going back to what I initially said about um, I might not be the smartest person in the room, but I know who the smartest person is in this area. That only works if your network is huge, right? But your network can't be big if you are you you uh, have the same five people that you constantly just go to. You know, this is about trying to make sure that we are 
you know, exponentially growing those networks. And the only way you can do that is really embracing you know, diversity, which starts with race and gender and all that other stuff, but really is about, you know, at the end of the day, your skill set uh, and your networks. And if you can get to that, I, re- I really think you're, you're unlocking uh, faster problem solving. So I'm just going to kind of piggyback on uh, what, what Admiral Akana said uh, when we're talking about the diversity. I, I think that, it, and it's really just to emphasize a, a strength that we have um, within the EDO community with the, the military leadership that we bring into the different program offices and other commands. Um, you know, I, I've done two soup ship tours so far, and when you start talking soup ships, uh, they are very tightly knit groups of people where people, you know, get hired in, they work their way up through the ranks, and that there's the soup ship way of doing things. And it's and it is a good thing for us to be sending junior officers, commanders, captains with a diverse experience to these uh to these type of commands, uh, where you can basically shake things up and um bring that diversity of thought. Uh so it's really just incumbent upon us to continue to to, to encourage that diversity of thought, to push people outside their comfort zones and to say, hey, just because this is the way we've always done it doesn't mean it's the right way. Um, let's look outside our lifelines and find a new way to do this that's more efficient, more effective, brings in more people so that we can ultimately be a, a better asset to the warfighter. Hey, actually, that's a pretty good segue, Rebecca. So let me kind of ask a kind of a follow up to that. You know, what leadership advice would you have given yourself as, as midshipmen make us? you know, all those years ago back at the Naval Academy. Um, anything special? Oh, my goodness, yes. So um, my my first bit of advice to to midshipman, uh, Islan was my maiden name, is uh, you, you don't have to be one of the boys. Um, I was on the offshore sailing team, so I was one of three women on a team of 50, uh, and I felt that to, to succeed, I needed to act just like the guys, and that did not work. I look back at my academy experience, and I am so grateful that I I went there. I am so proud of my accomplishments. Uh, you know, but hindsight's twenty twenty, and I and I could have done so much better if I had been you know once again authentic to who I am and and what my values are, and and not trying to blend in and be one of the guys. Um, you know, maybe if I'd been not more feminine, but just unapologetically female, instead of just giving into the sailing team culture, into that brigade culture, um, you know, I could have helped pave a, a way for, you know, to, for, for change on the team. Qualifying EDO advice, uh, did we want to touch on that? Absolutely. So that touches, you know, comes back to that uh, civilian leadership. Um, you know, when you go from I, I did grad school before I went to my qualifying ED tour or before I went to um, to my surface tours. Uh, so I went straight from military leadership into civilian leadership, and that was night and day difference and uh, didn't quite understand it at first. Um, you know, the, the motivation that you're using with the civilian workforce is very different than what you're going to be applying to, uh, you know, your, your division, your department. So... And one of the things that I rapidly learned is that uh, in many cases, when, especially when you are a, a qualifying EDO who has no clue what you're doing, but you know you, you come from a position where you are making decisions out in the fleet and you feel like you have to make decisions, you know, when you're sitting in on those zero six hundred production meetings and stuff like that, is you know the the shipbuilders, 
the the government civilians look at you and they're just like, "Uh uh-huh, sure. And they're thinking in their head, you are temporary. I have been doing this for 15 years, 20 years, however many years. I don't like you and I'm just going to wait you out, Um, which is kind of an unfortunate uh, mentality, but it's something that we have to combat. It's a matter of, you know, figuring out what that motivation is, tapping into that, and once again, pushing that culture change instead of trying to, you know, fight it head on, swimming upstream, or trying to subsume yourself to what it is, um, you know, figuring out a way to work within it to affect positive change. That was a great answer, Rebecca. Thank you. So I'll just add to this, you know, what, what I would tell a young midshipman uh, is uh, don't overvalue leadership and think that leadership knows all the answers. I mean, now where I am right now, I'll tell you, we don't know anything. <laughs> we know some things. But I, I think we over we tend to overvalue when we're younger. Oh, my gosh, these people know everything and they have all these answers. And what it does is it kind of hampers your ability to solve the problem yourself. I, I would say nine times out of 10, the answer really lies in the folks, you know, in that job, lieutenants have, you know, lieutenants, lieutenant commanders, commanders have more power than they they allow themselves to have, um, and more authorities. And I think they hold themselves back because they think leadership knows all the answers. They gotta, you know, they gotta run it by leadership. And you know, look, in some cases, if you're if you got a congressional brief or something, obviously, you know, you want to run that through. But if these are like ideas where you think you have a good idea. I think sometimes we don't we don't give ourselves the authority that we already have to just change something. Um, and so, you know, my, my recommendation is own it, uh, change it, ask for forgiveness later, but just go off and, and do it. Yeah, as a midshipman, I think that I would have just said live in the moment. Stop trying to plan ahead and just be and and focus on where you are um, and then always remember yourself in this moment. The more senior we get, sometimes it's harder to relate to those that we're leading. But I think that it's really important to know where they're coming from and what they're going through and and to to stay relevant and to stay up to date on that. So live in the moment and remember the moment. And then as a qualifying EDO, I would say understand how you see yourself versus how others see you. Uh, I think Rebecca hit on this a little bit, knowing and and validating um, how I how I see myself as a leader. And I think the EDLF, the the framework, is a good way to kind of look at this and see this. But looking at guilt, maybe mom guilt, that's a whole another topic for a whole another time. But is it validated um, or isn't it? And how do others see you, and how would they measure you in the same on the same scale? Um, so I think understanding that uh, and then taking that lesson and and helping it to influence how you um, reach out to others and and kind of portray yourself to others is is important. So Admiral, I'm going to revisit this question with you just one more time. Just I think you have the um, you know the advantage of being able to look back on yourself as a commander and as a captain as well, probably in a little bit more senior leadership position. Is there any advice that you give to maybe some of the more senior officers? Oh wow. I think we have, as senior officers, we have really got to take a look at how we were trained and take an honest, you know, self-reflection to see if that's really how we want to train our up-and-coming talent. Is that, 
is that really the same way? Is that really going to work? And I think we we just kind of do it automatically. Oh, I was trained this way, and therefore um, that must be the right way. And we, we really have to take a pause, look at the challenges the community is facing, look at the numbers. You know, what are our metrics looking like? Our diversity metrics. What, what do we have to do things a little bit differently? You know, if the trends really aren't changing over the last 20 years. Uh, but if we continue to do the same thing, uh, we're not gonna we're not gonna change the culture. We're not gonna change the numbers. Um, so I, I would just leave folks with you know take take a pause and really you know be kind of introspective at uh, are the leadership styles we are doing the ones that we need for the community in the next ten years. Well, thank you, so you everyone. I you know we've really enjoyed this conversation today. I've I've got one last question, and Admiral O'Connor, it's for you. So we always try and get a a good book recommendation from from our guests. So do you have any good book recommendations for us? I, I actually have a few, um, probably too many. So I, I will I will leave you with man, how many how many can I can I give you, Matt? Uh, I, I, I will start with here's how I would categorize them. Um, if you want something relevant and you want something that really kind of um, I think frames the problem of where we are right now in acquisition, but just in general, I would say The Kill Chain by by Christian Bros is a is a really good book and probably a must read. Got to read The Kill Chain. That came out this year. Uh, Christian Bros was a uh, I think the chief of staff for for John McCain when he was a senator, and it is just very very well written and very well framed. Um, just in general. Um, if you want some books on how to change culture and how to kind of adapt to kind of a, a new environment, I would say The Culture Code um, by Daniel Cooley, Range by David Epstein, Loon Shots by uh, Safi Bacall. Really, all those books, I think, are really, really good at identifying that sometimes in your organization, you need, you got to be multidextrous, right? You got to have your process enforcers, but you also have to have your artists and you, you got to have the folks that actually innovate something and they have to be allowed to fail. And those, you know, those, those two are kind of at, you know, opposite spectrums, but both have to coexist and creating those cultures where both can thrive is just so important. Um, and then just being a good leader in, in general, uh, I would say cast by uh, Isabel uh, Wilkerson just on, you know, just on um, race and all the issues we've got there. Uh, the War for Kindness by uh, Jamil Zaki is a really good book on empathy, as Rebecca was saying, uh, you know, and the empathy deficit we have just as a nation in general and how we can't communicate. We're so polarized on so, so, so many issues and really kind of making ourselves able to hear the other side without getting so invested in hating them <laughs> first. So I, I would start with those. I'm a I, I'm an avid reader. Um, yeah, I, I have endless rep- recommendations for you. Well, thank you for those, ma'am. I appreciate it. Hey, I have really enjoyed this conversation. It's been a it's been a great time uh, spent with everybody. Unfortunately, it has to come to an end. But uh, again, I appreciate everybody's time here, and we hope to have all of you guys back soon here on the wardroom. Thank you for joining us in the wardroom. Special thanks to our sound engineer, Lieutenant Andrew Rowley. If you have questions you would like our guests to answer, comments, or suggestions, you can email us at thewardroompodcast at gmail.com or tweet or follow us on Twitter at Wardroom Podcast. 
Join us next time for a conversation with Captain Brian Durant on the leadership lessons he's learned working Operation Warp Speed over the last year. We look forward to meeting again in the wardroom.